Okay, it was my intent last week to convince you that there's nothing more important to Heavenly Father than helping you find an eternal companion. Was I successful? The doctrine is, if we don't seal families, this whole earth was a waste. Heavenly Father is not distracted it's not like, oh, I'm trying to run this church and build these missions and build these temples. Oh, all right, I'll help you. In reality, it's, oh, Russell, what do you need now? I'm trying to help these guys find eternal companions. <laughs> and I don't mean to be facetious, but which is more important, the temporal kingdom going forth or you find an eternal companion? Now, luckily, Heavenly Father's not divided and split. You know what I'm trying to say. But sometimes we feel like it's a lesser priority. It's not. But there are some rules about Revelation. And we need to understand the rules. Especially when it comes to relationships and family, those rules become important that we understand. And I think going into what we're about to do, you can appreciate the fact that if God does everything for you, is that an act of love? Is He blessing you if He does everything for you? I once had, um, I got a note from my son's third grade teacher, third or fourth grade, third grade teacher, saying, could you please teach your son how to tie his shoes? And I was like, because why? We just always did it. And in doing that, I realized he'd never learned. If Heavenly Father does everything for us, do we learn? Okay, go to the other extreme. What if you were completely on your own finding an eternal companion? I love the chuckle. That's a scary thought, to not partner someone who's in eternity when my goal is to get to eternity. So do you see that there has to be a balance between what does he do and what do I do? And it's misunderstanding that balance that usually causes the problems in relationship prayer. So I'd like to illustrate... Two, I'd like to illustrate two of all the things. We don't have time for all of the rules of Revelation. But I want to talk about two specific rules of Revelation that, in my experience, has taught me are critically important to relationships. And I just realized, shoot, I hope someone's not trying to zoom in. I hope they're still being patient. Fifteen minutes late. Oh, that's going to hurt. <laughs> oh my gosh, come on. No one's there. Shoot. All right, maybe they'll come back. No one's there. Sorry, guys. So two rules of Revelation. The first one I want to illustrate 
with the Jaredites coming to America. That journey to America is very symbolic of our journey through mortality. And I love that, you know, Moroni takes the plates from his dad, and I wonder if he just says, hmm, what do we need to add to complete this record? What's not in it that would be missing in the fullness of the gospel? And it's not a coincidence that we have the Jaredite record. And even then, how many chapters are on Ether? 15, 16? And how many of them are associated with Jared coming to America? That is out of proportion, right? So he's not telling a proportionate story of the Jaredites. He's overinflating a particular story as if to say, okay, this is the piece that's missing from the Book of Mormon. I can't die until the book's complete. And so your journey to America, your journey to the promised land through the wilderness has to be taught. So turn to Ether chapter 2. Uh, chapter 1 and 2. Let me, maybe we start in chapter 1. There are three legs to this journey to America. Let's get to Ether chapter 1. Okay, so they've got to go. Remember where they're going from? They're going from the Tower of Babel, and they're going to end up across the ocean in America. So they're going to go from Babel to a very well-known city, a well-known path, and that was the Valley of Nimrod. Now, I'm guessing they'd been down that path many, many times. So the Lord just says, go to Nimrod. And that's the subject for another day. Then he says, let's go through the wilderness to the edge of the ocean, and they're going to camp on the beach. Now, go to chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, and tell me about this leg between Nimrod and the beach. Chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. Tell me about the journey. Who's got it? What do you know about that journey? Chapter 2, 4 through 6. Now, where are they going through? Verse 5, it came to pass that the Lord commanded them that they should go forth into the wilderness, yea, into that quarter where there never had man been. So what do you know about this leg of the journey? It's dangerous. It's unknown. It's uncharted. Mm. So is this going to lean towards more God or more on your own? Going through the will. Now go to the very end of verse 6. Going through a very dangerous time period, how much God is involved? Continually being directed continually by the hand of the Lord. Now that makes sense, right? Um, I have a grand, I only have one granddaughter. I have five grandsons, but one granddaughter, and she loves to go to a park near our house. Now we have to cross a busy road to get there. Tell me what I do with my granddaughter's hand as we cross that busy road. Oh, now what if she doesn't like it? What if she doesn't want me to hold her hand? What do I say? What do I say? Too bad, right? Because why? 
The danger's too high. The danger's too high. I need to. So when danger is high, what direction are we going to lean? More towards the side of God. Which is why in the mission field, finding people who are ready for his work is well beyond your ability. So missionary work leans which direction? More towards God's going to be very involved. In fact, look closely at verse 6. What did he teach them how to do when he was holding their hand and continually directing them? Notice it says, It came to pass that they did build barges. Do they know how to build barges? He's taught them. Now, what happens next is fascinating. Coming out of the wilderness, they get to the beach. And tell me what happens. Now, I think it makes perfect sense that they, why they would do this. But go to verse 14. Sorry, 13. Go to verse 13. Play this out in your head. Coming out of the dangerous wilderness, he's holding their hand. They get to the beach, which isn't dangerous. And they sit there for four years. Now, was the Lord pleased with them sitting there for four years? Was that the plan? It was not. They could have been in America four years earlier. So tell me why they're sitting there for four years. What are they waiting for? They're waiting for the Lord to tell them what to do. They've gotten used to it. Coming out of the wilderness, they've gotten used to Heavenly Father telling them exactly what to do. But are they in the wilderness? Do the rules of the wilderness apply in the beach? No. Knowing how to build a barge, having all the equipment, having all the resources, knowing they're crossing the sea, what should have happened when they got to the beach? They should have moved forward on their own. Why didn't they? Part of the, the, one of the biggest challenges coming out of a situation where we lean towards God helping us, as soon as we're out of that situation, we're not weaned from His help yet. And we rely way too much on Him. But we're not in the wilderness anymore. The rules of the wilderness don't apply. Now, the reason I say this in terms of dating, you have come to this position in your life, either from two different paths. Path number one is you've come home from your mission where God was so very involved. He spoke daily. I mean, has he told you what door to knock on? What street to go down? I got on a bus once and he told me who on the bus to talk to. Very, very God, right? 
Now, the problem is if you're coming home from your mission and you're now thinking that this is how you find an eternal companion, how long are you going to wait on the beach? Four years. Where you could have been in the promised land. The rule of revelation is you need to adjust to the circumstance in which you find yourself. And finding an eternal companion is not like finding investigators. The other path you're probably on is you've come out of all of those years of elementary school and high school where you were told what to do. Do you remember your mom picking your outfits for you and telling you what clothes to wear? Do you the school telling you which classes to take? For so much of your life, you were told what to do. I've watched this with my students, with my children, coming out of high school. Do you remember how much, how much freedom did you have in middle school to, to take the classes you wanted to take? Very little. And even in high school, you were pretty limited, weren't you? It, were, it was pretty rigid. You had to take this. And then all of a sudden, what's the world of the university or colleges like? No one is there to help you. And I've watched a lot of my children sit on the beach for a long time. I have, I have children who have wasted years because coming out of high school where they were so used to someone telling them what to do and then all of a sudden no one's there that they kind of get in this sit on the beach mentality. So allow me to emphasize principle number one. You need to get yourself off the beach. You need to understand the difference between the wilderness you've been in and why Revelation was so different then compared to today. It is not, I know this is going to sound weird, but whose choice is it who you marry? Whose choice is it who your eternal companion is? It's not his. Should it be God's choice who you marry? Now, I know you're de- you've, you're, you've been right there, Levi. Tell me why. Who, you're choosing Madison. He's not telling you. Why is it important to acknowledge that she's your choice and not his? I think it's, uh, there's a lot of reasons, but one of the thoughts I've had is I feel like and one thought I've had is I know some people, if God chose their spouse for them, then they would probably, it, it, it's almost more fragile in the sense that like if something goes wrong or anything, it's like it's God's fault. It's God's like, fault. Or maybe they'd force something that's not supposed to be, like it could be an abusive relationship. And they're like, well, God told me to, so I'll just stay in it, you know. Yep. Whereas it's a choice, so it's my choice, and I'm going to stick with that choice. That makes all the difference in the world. When you were in the mission field, did you notice a difference between someone who's paying their way and someone who's not? There was much more of a commitment if I'm paying to be here. That's the same thing in a marriage when I see it as this is my choice. I choose her. So if it's my choice then I need to understand that his job is to back off and not make it for me. 
And that's why marriage is a beach situation and missions are more like wilderness situations. And don't sit on the beach. Can I just show you another example? Turn to um, Joshua chapter three. Coming into the promised land. They're coming from the desert. And so they have to cross the Jordan River to come into the promised land. And the Lord has promised to part the Jordan River. But when does he part it? This is critical to understand the significance of when does he part it. So Joshua chapter 3, first he tells them, and then it actually happens. Verse 13, when does the water part? Tell me when the water parts. The soles of the feet. As soon as they do what? Step into it. Now, what would be your temptation? If you're a priest and you're holding the ark and you're on the bank, tell me what you would kind of expect to happen. The water is just to move. Heavenly Father, open up the water and then I'll move. Heavenly Father says what? Step move and then I'll open it. And there's the rule of revelation. Move. And then I'll open up. But so many times we just, how long do you think the temptation was to just stand there on the beach waiting? Well, I mean, they also were shown with Moses. Go forth. Like the water's opening and they're running through because of the Pharaoh behind them and danger. And so they know that the Lord can do it before they can start moving. Yep. But is is that natural? Could you just show me the way to go? I know. It's easy to sit back and say, Heavenly Father, could you just point him or out? Could you just point her out to me? Could you just maybe, maybe put her name in my part charcoal blessing? <laughs> and the Lord says, no. No. You're waiting for the movement of the water and you need to step forward. So rule number one, don't sit on the beach waiting for Heavenly Father to do the work that you need to do. I had a daughter, bless her heart, waiting for her husband to come to her, not putting forth much effort, not going where she should go, not doing what she should do, not stepping into the water. And she wasted years. Finally, I think in desperation, she said, okay, this isn't going to happen until I do something about it. And she stepped into the river. She did what her soul loathed. She signed up for internet dating. She did not want to do anything like that. And she finally signed up for internet dating. And guess how she met her husband? Internet dating. (laughs) No, it was. But even then, even if the story was the moment she signed up was enough for Heavenly Father to say, let me help you. But rule number one is you must step into the river. Do not expect God to do what you should be doing. Oliver Cowdery made that mistake translating the Book of Mormon, right? He sat down assuming what? Okay, God, turn it on. 
And Heavenly Father was waiting for what? Okay, Oliver, do the job. Do what you're supposed to do. And Oliver sat there saying, and he wasted an opportunity to say he translated a portion of the Book of Mormon because his, he was expecting Heavenly Father to just do everything. So how many of you are making that same mistake in waiting for the water to part before I step into it? Sitting on the beach waiting for him to tell me to make barges. I know how to make a barge. So move forward. Maybe, maybe just the act of starting to ask people out is the way you step forward. Maybe going to places. What is it that you're not doing that he might be asking you to do? Rule number one. Any thoughts? Amen. It's a common mistake. I watch it all the time. I'm just, I'm frozen. I'm waiting for Heavenly Father to just part the water and then I'll walk forward. And he's just saying, <clears throat> now, do we do it on alone? No. As soon as they stepped forward, what did he do? Parted the way. He parted the way. As soon as they built the barges, he blew them there. He touched the stones. He will help, but he does ask that he not do everything. Levi. I think it's important to remember that sometimes we don't know how far the Lord asks us to step yeah. into the water. And sometimes in our lives, when have, when have, and on occasion, can you think of a time where they were how far up before the water parted? The widow of Zarephath fascinates my story. When, what was she doing when Elisha shows up at her house, gathering sticks to make her last meal. There's a hint in Third Nephi. When were they? When were the believers going to be put to death if the sign wasn't given? Like the next day. So sometimes the Lord says, "Take a step, part." Sometimes the Lord says, "Keep going, keep going, keep going." Really, Lord, really? And it's like, okay, now parts. But the key is what? Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. And I say to the Lord, Lord, I'm doing everything I can, but I, I can't do this alone. I'm doing everything I can. And sometimes I'll be honest. He has said to me, really? Doesn't seem to me like you are. And I take it and repent and change. And then he helps me. Okay. Any other comments? Rule number two. Let me just make an observation and teach you a principle that completely changed my life. Are you expecting a hard yes? I think we are. I think we're expecting a hard yes. I think we're expecting, yes, he's the one. Yes, she's the one. Is there a one? Is there a one? I do not believe, now I only, I only married one woman, but I do not believe that was the only one that I could have married and been happy. I do not believe Heavenly Father sends us in pairs and we have to find each other. There are lots of options that are good options. There are lots of matches. There is not one and one only. 
Therefore, is the answer going to be a hard yes? Very rarely. Now, if you're asking, is the Book of Mormon true? What should you expect? That's a hard yes. When Joseph walked into the Grove of Trees and said, which church is true? Did you expect the Lord to say, um, any one of them? No, that's a hard no. In that situation, what you're praying for is a wilderness, dangerous if you get it wrong. I'm going to give you a hard yes. But marriage is rarely a hard yes. I taught a student. Would you, you're, you're realizing that, right? Well, I was just thinking about a recent conference talk where, because comparing it to this analogy with the beach, the promised land is still a promised land, but there's multiple ways to get across the ocean. Yeah. And there's a conference talk about that recently where everyone's journey across the waters is different. Yeah. They are going the same, as long as you're going the right way. Yeah. Now, I, I get that sometimes that doesn't apply. I can't go to another church and find the authorized covenants that will get me to the celestial kingdom. There is no other alternate path to the first highest degree of the celestial kingdom, but the sealing powers of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But in so many other ways, remember what the Lord said? How do you, what do you want me to do so you have light in your vessels? Would there have been other ways other than touching the stone? Of course there were lots of ways. What do you choose? Rarely you're going to get a hard yes. And I know people who have broken up because they didn't get a hard yes. I know a guy who was dating one of my best students ever. She was incredible. And he kept saying, is she the one? Is she the one? Is she the one? And he never got a hard yes, so he broke up with her. Now, let me, let's take that into the scriptures and let me point out two ways that, we, that Heavenly Father guides us and maybe emphasize the other way when it comes to marriage. Because quite often, the best direction I get from him isn't the hard yes. The hard yes can it sometimes interfere with my agency. If Heavenly Father guiding me means right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot, if that's what revelation is, if revelation is, okay, let me tell you the right toothpaste for you and which cereal you should buy, we're in trouble. We will never become what we're supposed to become. And so how does Heavenly Father guide us when we're not in the wilderness and it's not urgent? Turn with me to section nine, going to Oliver Cowdery, trying to translate the, gold, the golden plates. I think there's such a powerful lesson in this. Verse eight, and I, I wanna skip the burning in your bosom. I think that's, that's a subject for another day. Section nine, verse eight, go to the very end. How would Oliver know that the translation was right? you will feel it is right. Now, quite often, that's a very common form of revelation. I knew which university to attend because as soon as I went there on a visit, I walked onto the campus and he said, this is the right place. I felt it was right. But again, that's not, that's kind of a, things are serious. You're in the wilderness and I need to make sure you don't get this wrong. 
So how does he guide me other times? Look at verse 9. He doesn't say it, but what's he describing? In verse 8, he says, you will feel it is wrong. In verse 8, verse 9, what's he describing? You will feel that it is wrong. How many, how often can you do something wrong and he doesn't say something? Every single time you do something wrong, he says something, doesn't he? Every time. That is one of his most common voices. The voice that says the path you're on is wrong. I know that voice. Do you know that voice? Do you know the voice that says what you just did is wrong? I know that voice so well. So tell me what it means when he's not telling me I'm on the wrong path. path. That is how he guides me. The absence of him saying it's wrong is evidence that what? It is good. I'm going the right way. Now put, put those two forms of revelation together and let me ask you, how often do you get each? He does tell me the right thing to do. But most of the time, guess how he guides my life? Just go, Bryce. And I'll tell you if you make a mistake. And if I'm not making a mistake, then what does that mean? I'm going the right direction. Now, I don't consider that revelation because I'm not hearing his voice. But not hearing his voice is the greatest form of revelation there is. Do you see that? Not hearing his voice tell me I'm going wrong is how I guide my life. The absence of going wrong is the path I want to be on. Occasionally, he'll tell me some important, you make sure you do this. But those are rare because the danger is high. Most of the time, the way he guides me is I know I'm not going the wrong way. Does that make sense? If I were giving you a ride home, you would not give me turn-by-turn instructions. You wouldn't tell me how to get out of the Institute parking lot. You wouldn't say, okay, put your car in park, back up, turn a little bit to the right. The exit to the parking lot is over there, right? When would you speak to me if you were giving me instruction? If I were giving you a ride home, tell me when you would speak to me. When something important is coming up, you need to turn right here. It's very important that you turn right here. There's one. And when else would you speak to me? When When I went the wrong way. Now tell me how Heavenly Father guides you. Does he occasionally say, there's a very important turn, you need to make sure you turn right up here. But most of the time, what does he do? Just keep going. And I'll let you know when you've made a mistake. Adam? No, I was just, he brought to my Elder Holland to talk about the roads. Should we read it? Yeah. Elder Holland was traveling with his son, Matt, And they came to a fork in the road in unfamiliar territory, and they both felt very impressed to go to the left. 
And then it turned out to be the wrong road. And Matt asked him, Dad, why did we both feel like Heavenly Father told us to go down the road to the left when it was the wrong road? Why does Heavenly Father say so powerfully what was the wrong way to go? Maddie, I've been thinking and silently praying about that same thing all the way home because I really did feel a very distinct impression to take the road to the left. The Lord has taught us an important lesson today. Because we were prompted to take the road to the left, we quickly discovered which one was the right one. When we turned around and got on the right road, I was able to travel along its many unfamiliar twists and turnoffs, perfectly content I was headed in the right direction. How did he know that? He didn't know he was going the right way. He simply knew he wasn't going the wrong way. And his confidence to keep going was high. If we had started on the right road, we might have driven 30 minutes or so, become uneasy with the unfamiliar surroundings, been tempted to turn back. If we had done that, we would have discovered the dead end so late, it would have been too dark to find our way back in unfamiliar territory. I know I'm on the right road, not because he's told me it's the right road, but because why? I know it's not the wrong road. So when you're dating, if you are expecting a hard yes, you're probably putting the agency on God. And that's not appropriate for that decision. It is your choice who you marry. You need to make that decision. Now, will he help and confirm? Of course he will. But you need to make the choice. Don't expect a hard yes. But I would ask yourself this question. Has he given me a no? Can I say, if anyone walks by and hears this, they're going to seriously question me. But you'll understand. I did not marry Jennifer because she was the right person. I married Jennifer because she wasn't the wrong person. I think there could have been other good choices. But she wasn't a wrong choice. I remember asking for the yes. Heavenly Father, the day I planned on proposing, I was in the temple and I was kind of hoping for the burning in the bosom. I, I was hoping for the hard yes. She's the one. I wanted to suddenly open up and find her name written in my patriarchal blessing. And I missed it all those years. Oh, if you circle the first letter of these sentences, it spells out her name. Finally, in the temple that day, I realized I'm asking the wrong question. I was asking for the hard yes. And so I asked myself the other question. Has he said no? Has he warned me I was in danger? And I knew instantly the answer to that question. Never once warned me. It wasn't the wrong decision. Therefore, I felt him saying to me, you choose. You choose. And I have stuck by that choice with confidence my whole life because it wasn't the wrong choice. I know how much he guides me, not by telling me what to do, but by telling me when I'm doing something I shouldn't.
as long as I'm going the right direction, I have full confidence that I am being led by revelation. Even though I hear no voice, I know I'm being led by revelation because if I were not going the right way, he would speak. I have been praying for Elder Holland this week. Yeah. Chubby. So my mission president, he related it to someone that's trying to gain a testimony in the Book of Mormon. And you have Moroni's promise at the end. And so someone will go through the whole Book of Mormon and they're like, okay, I'm going to pray and Heavenly Father's going to give me this glorious answer that it's true. And they don't receive a glorious answer and they ignore the fact that Heavenly Father was touching their heart as they were reading. And so they related it to dating when someone's in a relationship and they're like, okay, I'm going to go to the temple and I'm going to pray. And I want this overwhelming. But they ignore the fact that he is kind to his mom and that he served a mission and that he has goals that he's striving for. They're like, I'm going to set that aside and I'm going to base it on this one moment I'm going to have in the temple. And they don't receive it and they're like, well, they're not the right one. Now, can you imagine walking away because I didn't get the hard yes in the temple that day? Foolish, right? Because all along the way, he's been saying, it's great, it looks great to me. Realize how often he guides you by not telling you anything. That's one of the greatest forms of revelation. I know my degree was the right one for me because it wasn't the wrong degree for me. Now, did he tell me what to take? Did he tell me which degree to choose? No, he didn't tell me. I chose that. But if it had been the wrong thing, now, have I done some things, even in school, that he very well told me, don't do that? Yes. The absence of a no is one of the most powerful forms of revelation you will ever receive. Learn to trust that. Is this the wrong path, Heavenly Father? If it's not the wrong one, then I'm gonna move forward with confidence and I'm gonna choose. Those are my two lessons that I would leave you with. Get off the beach and step into the river, move, and then he'll help you. Don't wait for his help and then move. It doesn't work that way. If there's something you're not doing that you should be doing to build a barge, do it. It's the act of stepping into the river that opens up heaven. The second rule is, understand that occasionally I get a hard yes. Occasionally he does come down and say the right thing to do is this but those are not very often in my life. The best way he guides me is move, Bryce. And if you take the wrong turn, I'll let you know. I have taken the wrong turn and he quickly lets me know. So I turn back and I go the right direction, confident that it's not the wrong direction. I know he guides you. I testify you will not be alone in this decision. But don't sit on the beach waiting for him to do something that you could do.
And secondly, understand the difference between situations that require a hard yes and situations where the greatest revelation that's coming is the absence of the no. If you get to the end of the Book of Mormon, if the Book of Mormon were a fraud, when would the Lord have told you that? Moroni chapter 10? No. First Nephi. But if you've read all the way to first, if you've read all the way to Moroni, and you've received revelation all along the way, and you're sitting there waiting for this massive glowing harps, it's not going to come. That's not how he works. I bear you my testimony. You're not alone in this decision. But understanding the rules of revelation will help you make it more confidently. Move forward until he tells you not to. Step into the river. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.